and welcome to your favourite teacher. I'm just going to go through some of the symbols in Jekyll and Hyde, just as a quick reminder. So, first of all, I'm going to talk about the appearance of evil. So when Mr Hyde is first described, he's associated with a strange, unnerving sensation, a sensation of evil. Mr Enfield describes it as a deformity, but it's not something physical and it's not something that people can express easily. From the outset, Hyde is seen as a different kind of being from the other characters. There's this intangible deformity and it seems to affect other people around him. So people like Utterson and Enfield get a powerful hatred for Hyde that seems almost quite instinctive. Hyde's evil also seems to bring out the dark side of others, um, suggesting the reality of duality that, oh that rhymes, that Jekyll's been trying to prove, that there is evil and good, odious and joyous in everything. It's just a quote here, so he is not easy to describe. There is something wrong with his appearance, something displeasing, something downright detestable. I never saw a man I so disliked, and yet I scarce know why. He must be deformed somewhere. He gives a strong sense of deformity, although I couldn't specify the point. Now, you don't need to know that whole quote, but you do need to know things like downright detestable, or feeling of deformity. These are things that you can talk about to show how hideously ugly Hyde is. And really we've got this abstract concept of evil that's coming through and reflected in his physical appearance. There's more than one character who struggles with defining what it is about Hyde and his appearance of evil. So we also have Hyde's the lady that works for Hyde, and she's described as an ivory-faced and silver-haired old woman opened the door. She had an evil face, smoothed by hypocrisy, but her manners were excellent. In this passage, the police are investigating Hyde's living quarters after the murder of Sir Danvers Carew, and this old lady with an evil, hypocritical face lets the police into the room. The women's face symbolises some of Stevenson's ideas about the relationship between good and evil. All human beings have a secret desire to do evil, but most people learn how to control it, or at least hide it in some way. So this woman's a, a great example of a character who plainly desires to do evil, yet society prevents her from giving in to her sinful desires. Good manners are a facade, um, and we, that ties in a lot with the Victorian context. I looked down, my clothes hung formlessly on my shrunken limbs, the hand that lay on my knee was corded and hairy, I was once more Edward Hyde. In this passage, Jekyll is in public and finds himself transforming into Mr Hyde, um, and he's detailing this in his confession. So even though he hasn't drunk any of the potion, He's lost control and the dual nature has become more powerful on the side of Hyde. Stevenson's description of Hyde's sudden, unexpected appearance might parallel some of Sigmund Freud's ideas about the relationship between the conscious and the unconscious mind. As Hyde kind of jumps out and catches him off guard. At the same time, Stevenson makes this physically seem quite horrific. Hyde, again, is portrayed as evil, even down to his appearance. So he's shrunken, corded, hairy, unlike the presumably healthy and wholesome Dr Jekyll. 
another sort of motif that we have is the use of the weather, in particular the mist and the fog. So the streets of Utterson's London are obscured by the weather, just as the mysteries of Mr Hyde and his crimes are also obscured. The mist makes the layout of the streets hard to follow and makes sort of this setting particularly ominous, which fits in with the gothic genre. Effects of light are used to forewarn and indicate the coming on of Jekyll's transformations and Hyde's violence, and the moon sheds an eerie light over the most suspenseful moments. Now, it's really important that when you're talking about the setting, you link it to what's happening in the story. And Stevenson does this through the use of pathetic fallacy. So pathetic fallacy is where we have the weather reflecting the mood and Stevenson does it here using light and dark imagery and in particular the idea of vision being impaired. So if when there's fog, when there's mist, when there's moonlight, we've got this battle of good and evil which is the same as the battle of light and dark but also we've got the fact that you can't see things clearly. Neither can the reader, neither can Utterson, and that's how Stevenson's using his pathetic fallacy here. So rather than just saying, finding a quote, uh, so for example, even if you can't remember many quotes, it says foggy and fog about a million times, so you can constantly talk about the fog, put it in quotes, get yourself some marks. But what you need to remember is what might be being clouded at that point. So if it is um, when Utterson, the first fog of the winter rolls in, and I think it's when Utterson's on his way to see them, uh, what's happened at Sir Damba's Carew's house, you can then say that we get this sense of foreboding reflected in the weather. So try and link it to what's going on. Another important symbol is the use of windows and doors. Uh, in Jekyll's home and, and Hyde's home. So we've got the doors, which are obviously a point of access, but also a barrier, perhaps blocking out Utterson. They might show either transparency, if a house has lots of windows and lots of light coming in, versus secrecy, if there are no windows. Hyde's house doesn't have any windows or a knocker, which suggests that he doesn't want anyone coming in or looking in. It's very unfriendly, very unwelcoming. Hyde's house is described as blackmail house, whilst Jekyll's house has a great air of wealth and comfort. So really, Stevenson's using these homes to embody the characters. We have that as well in Jekyll's house, where we have the, the front of the house, the one that's accessible and beautiful, good home that represents his wealth and status. And then we've got this laboratory that's hidden away in the back and really quite neglected. So this, the front of the house versus the back of the house might represent the two sides of Jekyll's personality. So we've covered the appearance of evil, the mist in the moonlight and the windows and doors. And the last real motif that we see, that I'm going to talk to you about anyway, are the letters and documents. It's quite an interesting thing. We don't actually get this in too many stories. But what we have is all of the different convoluted interactions between the characters, they don't just come in the form of a third person narration. We have confessions, we have letters, we have wills, and all of these things help create the suspense and mystery of the book because of the fact that the narrative itself is quite hard to follow. 
So an example of this obviously is the initial will of Dr. Jekylls, the document that Utterson is so worried about because it, he is leaving all of his money to hide. We've also got letters where um, when Jekyll asks Dr. Lanyon for help, he says, think of me at this hour in a strange place, labouring under a blackness of distress that no fancy can exaggerate and yet well aware of that. If you will but punctually serve me, my troubles will roll away like a story that is told. Serve me, my dear Lanyon. So here we've got the fact that he is evoking um, some sort of sense of loyalty with his old friend. He won't even tell him what's going on. It's almost too too horrible to write down. And he's just hoping that Lanyon will honour their friendship and come and help him. The last two chapters of the story are both written down documents. So chapter nine is um, where... Dr. where Utterson reads Dr. Lanyon's letter and it's the letter that he writes down because he can't possibly tell anyone and it's and it's about the experience that he has where he goes to Jekyll's house and sees him transform from Hyde back into Jekyll. Um, he talks about how my soul sickened at it and Lanyon here asks for Utterson not to read this letter until such a time as Dr. Jekyll is no longer around, so either he disappears or he dies. So it's quite significant that we've got the last two chapters as the letters because we have the end of the action at the end of chapter eight where we see Utterson breaking in and, and see a twitching sort of figure who's supposedly uh, someone in Jekyll's clothes. And no one really has a clue what's going on. But with chapter nine, we see Lanyon's perspective and in chapter 10, we finally have circumstances of events told from the perspective of Dr. Jekyll in his confession and his will. And in that, we have the final, the letter explains that he long ago realised that humans have a dual nature and that humans are not truly, a man is not truly one, but truly two. So I think it's significant here that the letters are used rather than just having someone confess it in another form, so for example in dialogue, and that might almost be that people would rather write things down than express these thoughts out loud. And that goes again, adds in with the Victorian context, the fact that, you know, reputation and secrecy was so inbuilt. So hopefully that's helped settle your revision for some of the symbols in Jekyll and Hyde. Good luck!